Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience of field, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast. We're continuing the series of wild turkey research interviews. This week, we are going to talk with a researcher from Mississippi, Dana Morin, and about a project whose goal is to collect genetic material left behind in the field by wild turkeys to help better understand population parameters. More on how this new project is going to help us better understand turkey populations in 90 seconds. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Uh, Yeah, again, Super thankful for the time, and uh, I appreciate you letting me reschedule. Um, got to no, see. No, happy to uh, help with that. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. And uh, but anyways, yeah. So this is the second year we're covering this project. We're super excited to provide funding and and you know help help broaden the understanding of wild turkey ecology in Mississippi. Um, you know, I, I have a, a few questions, but before we kick off, I was wondering if you could just kind of maybe introduce yourself and uh, your experience working with wild turkeys and wildlife and in general and and your experience as a researcher? Sure. My name's Dana Morin. I'm an assistant professor at Mississippi State University. Uh, Most of my research has actually been on um, carnivore populations, but I'm a population ecologist um, and specialize in quantitative methods and non-invasive genetic methods to estimate population densities um, and population projections. So that's how I got involved with the turkey projects. That's awesome. And uh, are you uh, a hunter or fisher uh, of sorts? Trapper. Trapper. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, this this kind of work, uh, you know, probably rings especially true to what you're doing. And, uh, you know, that brings up a, a, a completely different conversation. Well, I guess somewhat related is that there's a lot of nuanced factors with uh, with how predators play a role and and 
uh, turkey populations and whether they're contributing su substantially to a decline or if they play more of just a subtle role. And um, I know there's research covering that as well. And um, I'm not sure if this, what you're looking at, um, looks any uh, at any predator dynamics, does it? No, it's actually a really difficult question to get at, even more so than the densities. Uh, but, and it's, you know, there's a lot of speculation on how predators might affect populations, but most of the, most of the research so far has shown that habitat management is really going to have the largest effect. So, you know, we can't say for sure, but it seems that um, if you're managing your habitat, you're going to get a better boost to your turkey population than if you were to only trap. So we often say that we we recommend that you first manage your habitat, and then um, if you want a little extra bump after that, then then trapping would probably help. No, that's that's awesome. Yeah, and that's that's what I've kind of been hearing across the board too. Um, well, yeah, let's kick things off with uh, with the current research that you're working on. Um, it's in its second year. Um, before we get in the details of that, just kind of want to know, you know, what spawned it? Did, uh, you know, the, the agency, the state agency come to you looking to do this? Or was it this new advance in uh, genetics that allowed like, hey, maybe, maybe we can, you know, broaden our understanding and get more accurate uh, understanding of turkey densities uh, with this technology? What kind of brought on this research? Well, uh, yes, the state agency, Mississippi uh, Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and um, Parks, came to myself and my collaborator, Dr. Mark McConnell, who's a professor of Upland Bird Ecology. Um, and initially, it was to do some population projection modeling to just determine um, what factors might influence turkey populations based on all of the research that's been done previously and all of the population parameter estimates they have from that. What I was really struck by was that in all of this research to tur uh, about wild turkeys in the southeast, there really was very little where anybody had actually estimated densities in relation to um, to any of the factors they were investigating. And so we can say that, say, maybe um, nest success changes or hen survival changes, but we don't know what that actually relates to in terms of actual population outcomes. It does not actually change the density or there are other compensatory factors that are um, playing a role there. So we really wanted to get, with, with that in mind, once we realized that, we really wanted to get at what are some of the factors that actually drive densities in the area. And so we've got a um, an experimental design where we're looking at densities across multiple sites, some private, some publicly managed. Um, we've got uh, kind of high, what we think would be high carrying capacity, low carrying capacity. Um, and we've got um, uh, areas that we think would be um, uh, that, uh, sorry, that we have areas that have a spring harvest and we have areas, uh, uh, sorry, uh, we have areas that we've had a delayed spring harvest um, to, mm -hmm. by two weeks and we have areas that where it's remained the same. So we can make some comparisons and actually um, and some inference about what is driving differences in um, turkey populations. Yeah, and, and that brings up an interesting point. You know, um, pulse per hen ratio is, is a particular important uh ratio for, for managers um, across these different areas that have different frameworks. Have you noticed a different poults per hen ratio? Um, has that been um, determined before? So all, I, I know for Mississippi, Adam's very fast. I know for Mississippi that um, they had not delayed their season and they've actually had one of the highest poults per hen ratios um, on record this past year. So um, I think that the jury's still out on that one. But I, we do have a really fun experiment that we've embedded into this larger project where um, we had a lot of game cameras left over from a previous project. And so um, we're currently 
deploying cameras all over our sites, um, and then we're simultaneously doing um, density estimate. While well, we're simultaneously collecting um, samples for density estimation, and we're going to see how well we can use camera traps to try to get at pull to uh, pull per hen ratios compared to the brood surveys that are going on right now. Yeah, that'll be that'll be really interesting. And so basically, kind of seeing like how accurate like the uh, anecdotal brood ser- surveys are. I think we're going the other way, right? Like we don't we don't know really the we don't know the correct protocol yet for using the cameras to try to get at what pulp per hen is. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so we we're we're trying a couple different study designs with the cameras, and we're going to see how well we can um, by subsampling from the data we get how well we can um, approximate the pulp per hen we get from those really intensive brood surveys. Gotcha. That's awesome. Uh, it's pretty cool stuff you guys got going on. Um, you know, you kind of gave me a brief overview of the project, um, how it's going on in different states. And I, I even read that um, hunters are participating now by uh, providing samples from harvested birds. But you mind just kind of speaking like what to what some of the field work looks like and, and just kind of like the day to day on on this project? Sure. Yeah, I, we've got a couple of technicians out there now, um, and so we've got three different sessions: one right before harvest, one right after the hunting season, and then one in August. And the idea is that by getting, um, we go around and we collect fecal samples and feathers um, from uh, these stratified transects. And when we do that, we can get individual identification of each bird from their uh, from those fecal samples or their feathers. And that allows us to get an idea of how many individuals are there by using more classic uh, mark recapture methods. But what it also allows us to do is it allows us to estimate what's the chance that a bird that we detected in February is still alive in June and is still alive again in August. So we can get survival over those different intervals that we're really interested in, like um, during the hunting season and during the spring and summer when females are, are raising broods. That's awesome. Um, and so to date, you've, you've, uh, you have 111 fecal samples, 16 feather samples. What, what has that told you so far? Right now, we're still in the process of extracting all the DNA and, and, um, and processing it. So I, what I would say is I think what's been interesting is that um, our ability to find the fecal samples and feathers has been really determined. We're learning more about like that ecology, how the ecology of the birds relate to our ability to find those samples, because when they were really grouped up in the in the um, before um, the hunting season began, we would go a long period of time on the transects and maybe not find anything. And then all of a sudden we'd find like 20 samples in one spot because they're all hanging out together. Um, and then it, it dispersed some in the um, in this early summer uh, survey. And now we're hoping in August that we're going to get some really good coverage and sampling as birds are maybe a little bit more dispersed uh, throughout the sites. That's awesome. Are you finding about the same amount at each study site or has there been kind of like certain sites with more with more uh, DNA data that you're Def- able to find? Definitely more. Definitely some sites are better than others. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's good, though. You need a control, right? Right. Exactly. Well, that's how we kind of set it up is we wanted to have some areas where we thought we'd have high densities and some areas where we thought we'd have low densities because that's how we'd know if we were actually being successful in estimating those those numbers. Gotcha. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, it, and in addition to maybe not finding as much material as you would like, what are some of the other challenges that are there with this project? 
if there are any, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you'd have to talk to my technicians. They're the ones who have to like tunnel through the BlackBerry. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get to sit in my office and lab for that part. Um, but uh, I think it's been it's it's been going really well, honestly. Like, yeah, we it's 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 just the patience of that that of that first year. We're just wrapping up the or we're we're just starting the August session was actually the first the first full year of the field work. Um, and so it's just the patience of waiting until we see all the data and figure out what worked, what didn't work, and how to improve. But we've got a really good team on it, and um, everybody's really excited about what we're finding so far. So I'm pretty optimistic for year two. Yeah, that's awesome. It, you mind kind of just describing, so like, one, you know, you're going to get this data back about individual birds, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and you're, you're going to be able to kind of see what individuals are where and when and, you know, whether they're harvested or not. And so what else, are, when you get this data, like how are you going to kind of compare it with other just like ecology factors that will just like broaden your understanding, so to speak? One of the great things about being able to use the genetic markers as opposed to um, the more conventional methods of capturing and marking the birds is that we can tell things like relatedness. Um, mm-hmm. So we can look at parentage. We can look at production per parent, possibly. Like, are some birds more um, prolific than others in reproduction? So um, I think there's some really neat questions that we can get at from the population genetic side. We could also look if there's still uh, what we call positive assortment occurring. Do some birds um, not, are there are there maybe subpopulations within Mississippi that don't seem to um, breed with each other as much? And how does how does the um, reintroduction of birds from different parts of the states, how, how might that be reflected in the population genetics that we see now? That's, yeah, that's super interesting. So I'm not too familiar with Mississippi's like, you know, reintroduction. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm guessing it's similar to many other states where their, their population wasn't doing well decades ago. And then, you know, through some of the traffic transfer reintroductions, I'm wondering if you'll be able to kind of track the genealogy of, of those efforts, so to speak, like, you know, would, did these birds come from, you know, Maine or, or something like that? I don't know if you'll be going that far back, but it sounds like you have the technology to do that if you want it. I think we could if we had the reference samples to compare to. Um, I know there's uh, that a lot of the reintroductions came from three populations that were within Mississippi already, and there was a master student um, that already did um, some research with microsatellites looking at um, before I got to Mississippi State, but she was looking at um, if you could see the kind of remnants of that population structure in the existing populations today. Um, and we'll get uh, an even deeper look at that because we're switching to a more powerful marker set. Awesome. And so, you know, I guess my other question, is, it's pretty vague. Obviously, what I was going to ask, what's still left to do? That's um, collecting data and, and getting it, you know, running it through the lab. Uh, is there anything else? Yeah, that, that's going to be the majority of the work. It feels like fun. It feels like the field work always seems like it's the most until you get to the lab and realize that you have twice as much to do in there. So, yeah, um, so yeah the, the other part we're doing is we're also um, partnering with Rick Gerholt at University of Tennessee, and he's going to be helping us with doing, um, uh, looking at parasites and um, other other possible diseases that we can detect in that fecal matter that we collect. So, uh, so yeah. we're just getting that off the ground now too. So, um, so that'll be exciting to be able to correlate some of these things that we're finding with densities with perhaps like different parasite loads or um, presence of af- aflatoxins or things like that. Yeah, that yeah, and I guess this is kind of related. <clears throat> you know, this is all happening in Mississippi, but I'm wondering, you know, how could the findings 
uh, have applications beyond state lines for wild turkey managers? Well, um, I mean, we hope that turkeys obviously cross boundaries, and the southeast seems to be going through a lot of similar things. So we hope that our uh, that we can do we can help out with other states in two ways. We hope that we demonstrate a new method that helps. Um, with researchers determine um, how what, what might be influencing turkey densities and population uh, changes, mm-hmm. um, and then we hope that what we're what we're able to show because it's in an experimental design where we can truly get at some of the drivers of differences that we detect. So we have multiple sites under different conditions, so we can uh, make statements about what might be increasing or decreasing based off of our data. Um, we we hope that that'll be able to help other other states and agencies be able to think about what's going on with their populations and how how our results might be reflected in what they're seeing. Awesome. And then <clears throat> we're flying through this interview. We're already at my last question. Sorry, and, I uh, talk I, fast. I'm from New England. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I am. I'm in Vermont right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's awesome. You just you're very you're answering these questions perfectly. Um, oh, great. But I guess want to just know, you know, how will this research benefit turkey hunters? <clears throat> well, what we hope is that it, it you know, ultimately, what we hope is that we're able to get a better understanding of what influences turkey populations and what are the, what has the most influence over turkey populations. So is it habitat? And if so, do we need to spend so much time on trapping or is it predators? And then we need to spend more time on, on habitat. So um, is it disease? What, what, we have a lot of questions and there's a lot of theories about what's going on with turkey um, populations right now in the Southeast. Um, and we're hoping to help resolve some of that so that managers can make sound popular, uh, sound management decisions based on science and, uh, and that that will be reflected in greater turkey populations and more hunter opportunity. Awesome. Well, that, that's all. Those are all my questions, Doctor Warren. I really appreciate it. You hit the nail on the <laughs> no head problem. on all of them. And, uh, <laughs> if you, yeah. So, well, I appreciate it. And um, yeah, well, I'll keep you posted as we get this stuff published up. And thanks so much again. Yeah, of course. Happy to help. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you.